Hey, my name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am super glad that you're here, especially if you're here for the first time, because, you know, it's weird to walk into a church for the first time, but we'd love to know that you're here. Thanks for filling out those Connect cards. In fact, everybody can fill one of those out, and we have an info bar right out these middle doors to the right. If you have any questions, we'd love to meet you out there after the gathering. I also want to tell you about something that's happening this week. We have a small team this week on Thursday. They're going to get on a plane, and then they're going to go to Malawi, Africa. And we're super excited about this. I was there a year ago, as you know, and uh, working with Mary Beth, who's been one of our international partners for a very, very long time. Uh, Mary Beth was a trained sort of master teacher in education, leadership development here before she went there. And uh, some amazing work has gone on there in the last decade. It's been fantastic. I got to see it firsthand. And these gals are going to head over and they're going to be kind of eyeball to eyeball, not just with Mary Beth, but these teachers that she's training and then these kiddos. Uh, The township is in Durande and it's vast, it's massive. And there's a couple different schools there. And one of them reaches out specifically to some of the most vulnerable children in that region. And so that's who they're going to work with. And I'm super excited about that. If you want to know more about this trip, go onto our webpage, go under events and scroll down and you'll see the Malawi trip there. You can read all about it. That would be fantastic. But I want to pray for them this morning uh, before they head out this week. So would you join me in prayer? God, thanks for this team and thanks for their obedience to you as you have grabbed a hold of their hearts. And I know this team and I know the training that they've gone through and I know that there's some nervousness as well. And uh, that's all normal. That's all good. God, I pray that you would wrap them in your arms as you uh, take them over there and that you would work powerfully through them and powerfully in them uh, during this, uh, this trip. And Lord, we'll be excited to hear the stories when Mary Beth comes back and shares with us this summer what's going on over there in Malawi. So we thank you for that, and we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you haven't been with us over the last uh, five weeks, uh, we've been in this series, and I, 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 I want to encourage you to go back and watch our podcast. If you don't know that, you can watch all the messages online. You can watch them on the Lakeside app. But we've been in this series, and we're kind of, we kind of wrapped it up last week, and this week is sort of pressing the pause button between series. And so I wanted to kind of look back a little bit because this, this series called Everyone, really the, the heart and the foundation of the whole thing comes from this idea that we get from the scriptures. And the idea is, is that from the very beginning of time, God showered humanity with such incredible value. And at Lakeside Church, we have this passion that everyone knows that. And not just knows it in their brains, but they know it through experience. We just want to be a place where we can share that with as many people as possible. And so we've asked this question, well, how do we do that? And so we've been following Jesus around. Like we've been spying on Jesus, you know. We've been reading these books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And by the way, if you read the book of Luke, which these days, when I, when I talk to people and meet with people, if they've never read the Bible, these days, I, I always tell them, start with Luke. 
And the reason is, is because in the Gospel of Luke, there's more one-on-one personal encounters that are recorded than any other Gospel. And they're all fantastic, and we've touched on all of them, but we've followed him around. We've gone, well, if Jesus is God, if this is what the Scriptures present, he's the exact representation of his glory. He has the exact nature, being God himself. Then how did he do it? I mean, how did Jesus communicate such incredible value, this idea that everybody's created in the image of God, and that means that there is this innate worth in all of us, and so everybody that we see has that. How did he do it? And so we've watched him go to a wedding and create way too much wine for people and interact with his mom and celebrate with others. And he's kind of echoing the celebration from the very beginning of the story when it says that God sings over humanity a song of celebration. You do know that Genesis 1 is a song. And it says, it is good. It is good. It is very good no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you're doing, no matter where where you're headed, God says that you deserve to be celebrated over. And so he sings this song of celebration over you and over me. And then we went on this road trip with Jesus and his disciples, his sometimes boneheaded, knucklehead, you know, disciples that say things and do things that they shouldn't be saying and doing. And by the way, I love that about the scriptures, that they present these people as very imperfect because a couple of reasons. One is that it rings true to me. I love a story that rings true. And the other reason is, is because I can identify with these guys. I think it's fantastic. And Jesus takes them on this journey, and he begins to give them the tools. He has conversations. They have experience. They go to strange places. And he essentially equips them with what they need to love God and love others because he's sending them into the world on a mission of love. And we want to be a place that equips as many people as possible. We watch Jesus literally bleed as he cared for his mom. He's hanging on the cross at the very end of his life. And one of the very last earthly acts that he does is to look down at one of the most vulnerable people in that culture. And he cares for his mom in that moment. A couple weeks ago, John talked about this idea of being lost and found. And the idea that, that when someone is found, there is such rejoicing, there is such joy, there is this party. And we're also left with some tension because not everybody goes into the party and we're wondering what's going to happen. But we know that when they do, there is joy there because God has this idea that he wants all of us to be connected with him and connected with one another. He wants us to be found. And then last week, John talked about grace from the Sermon on the Mount. He talked about grace as the great equalizer, that actually there is no them. And that we're all in this together, this journey of humanity. There is an us. And so we always want to be a place where we are ready and we're prepared for as many people as possible, for those people that have yet to ever join us here at Lakeside Church. And as we've gone through this series over the last five weeks, and as I was writing this series, I don't know how many weeks or months ago, this one question kept on coming up in my mind over and over again. And this week, it was, it was really bothering me, and I, I sort of couldn't get rid of it. And the question comes in three words. 
And it's everyone? I mean, I mean, really? Like, like everyone? Because I have people in my life that, that make me uncomfortable. I know certain types of people that I just sit across from and I go, oh, I, I don't agree with you. There are certain people in the world, if you're like me, that we look at their worldview or their belief system or their behavior or something about them and we just go, man, yeah, you're over here and I'm over here. So I don't know if everyone actually includes you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everyone? Really? Everyone. I had this coach my junior and senior year of high school, and he was a planner, man. And, uh, and he used to go out. He would, send, uh, he would send college students that were his assistant coaches out, and he would go out, and they would record and write down and sometimes film a team that we were going to play. It's called scouting out another team. And he would look at their offense, and he would look at their defense. He would look at their terrible players so that we would know how to expose their weaknesses. He would look at their strong players so we could prepare for that. If they were a pressing team, Team, we had to learn how to break a press. If they were a trapping team, we had to learn how to break a trap and, and, and score and all of that stuff. And so he would get us ready and we would practice all week long for that opponent. But then, minutes before the game started, minutes before we ran out onto the court, he would have this last talk with us. And it was sort of like this gut check talk where, 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 where he would look at us and, and he would kind of pump us up because he knew, he knew that there was one more thing we needed to bring out on the court with us. And it was right here. It was our heart. I mean, we didn't, we didn't need our heart. We didn't need to play with our hearts if we were playing a terrible opponent. But if we were playing a good team and if we were playing a great team, if we didn't bring our heart, then we were going to be in trouble. So he would have the heart check with us. The Christian life, more than anything else, is a life that's lived from the heart. You know what it's like to live without your heart? Some of you know what it's like to live without this in the game. I mean, you know what it's like. You, you could sit in church for years. You can do this Christian life. You can, you can do any type of life for a long time and just sort of jump through the hoops and play the religion or do whatever it takes to sort of fake it because you can fake it. You can learn the answers and you can learn the stories and you can learn how to act and you show up for a little while, you put on the mask, and then you get out of there. You know what it's like to do that. So every once in a while, we need to sort of back up and and do a heart check. Jesus was great at this. He, he did this all the time. He did it with his disciples right before they went out into the world. He would have these heart check conversations with them. And he actually did it all the way through the scriptures. Every once in a while, somebody would come to Jesus and there was this conversation and he had this way about him. He had this art of kind of cutting through all of the stuff in life and getting down to sort of the nitty gritty of what's really down in somebody's heart. 
It was a dangerous thing for Jesus. It was the kind of thing that got him put on the cross because he would tell these stories and he would say these things that just would offend the people in his culture. And it's actually one of those stories that I want to talk about today with you. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And if you have your phone, pull up the, the YouVersion app. There's always some extra notes in there. There's some things in there. You can actually take notes on your phone. It's fantastic. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, we have some right outside the doors, the side doors, and maybe the middle doors too, but go out the side doors. And you can grab one of those and you can actually take that home with you if you don't have your own copy of the scriptures. If you've never read the Bible in your life, I bet you at some point you've heard the story, or at least you've heard the phrase, Good Samaritan. And I'd like to share this story with you this morning. Luke chapter 10, down in verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which was two full days' wages, by the way, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus asks a question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. This story begins with a question. And it's a good question. The ancient rabbis were obsessed with two things at this time in history. One of the things that they were obsessed obsessed with is that they were obsessed with the law of Moses. They were obsessed with their own scriptures. And they wrestled with them. They memorized them. They talked about them all the time. They argued about the scriptures. And they wanted to know what each other's interpretation was. And they would challenge each other. A very normal thing for the ancient rabbis of that time. And the other thing that they were obsessed with with was 
ending up on the right side of history. There was this belief during this time, and the belief had been around for hundreds of years. There was this great hope in ancient Israel that one day, one day God would show up in a way unlike any other way. That this anointed one, this Messiah would show up on the scene and Messiah would come and he would set all the wrong things right. Essentially, he would enter into the world where there was incredible injustice and he would bring justice to that world. He would bring peace and he would bring healing and he would bring joy. The swords would be beaten down into plowshares. This was the great hope of ancient Israel. And so they were waiting and they were waiting and they were waiting and this guy guy who was doubly obsessed with the scriptures because he was an expert in the law, wanted to know if he would experience that. And so he comes to Jesus. And the scripture says that he was going to test Jesus. Now, some of the rabbis and some of the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders at the time, they would come to try to trap Jesus. It says here that he came to test Jesus. And I think what's going on here, because this guy kind of gets a bad rap sometime, is this guy is doing a very normal rabbinic thing. It's rabbi to rabbi. Hey, what's your interpretation? We're both experts in this thing. Let's wrestle over this a little bit. And actually, that was a tradition in the Jewish community at the time. And actually, in many, if not most Jewish communities today, it's still the tradition to openly debate without dehumanizing your opponent. It's a beautiful thing. It's the best kind of conflict. It helps us to learn. It helps us to grow. When you sit down across the table from somebody else and there's some rigorous conversation, it's a beautiful thing. There was a rabbi in the 19th century who once wrote, a rabbi whose community does not disagree with him is not really a rabbi. A rabbi who fears his community is not really a man. A couple years ago, a modern-day scholar, a, a rabbi, wrote this right during the general election of 2016. He said, Judaism teaches us that when we must make a serious decision, if there is no disagreement, we should be concerned. A lack of disagreement is a sign that we've missed something important. We must remember that we are descendants of Jacob, our patriarch, who wrestled with God and earned the new name Israel, which means one who wrestles with God and prevails. As children of Israel, wrestling with heavy issues is a part of who we are. But we are living during a time when disagreement is either something that we run from or we use to divide us in dangerous ways. In your life, there are people that you disagree with about really important things. I mean, if you think of this person right now, you just get that feeling that you had last Thanksgiving when the big discussion was going on, right? <laughs> that conversation over lunch or whenever it was, you know, you start getting a little hot and heated and wrestling over things. One of the healthiest things that we can do is learn how to debate without dehumanizing the other. I don't know what was in this guy's mind except that he wanted to sort of justify himself. He's trying to, he's trying to figure things out. He's trying to wrestle with this and there's people around and, and there's people listening. And so he asked Jesus the big question. You know, Jesus, am I going to experience that future that we're hoping for? And he gives a great answer. His answer is 
all about love. He's an expert in the law. He pulls out the very most important part of the Hebrew law. We've talked about it before, the Shema, love God with everything that you have. And then the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. He zeroes in on that. Jesus himself said that the whole scripture hangs on this law. So he gives a great answer. Jesus affirms that. So this guy gets a feather in his cap because, you know, it's rabbi to rabbi. And Jesus says, yeah, you got the right interpretation. Oh, good. That feels really good for everybody to know that. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Side note, because some of you grew up in these traditions where where you're really concerned about this. What Jesus is not saying is that somehow you can sort of add up all these good deeds and somehow that earns favor with God and God's going to somehow accept you and you're going to have this right relationship with God because you've added up all these great things. And man, if you only make it halfway, then you're nervous because you're not really sure where you stand with God. That's not what Jesus is talking about. It's never been about earning it. It's never been about works. It's always been about grace. I think what Jesus is affirming here is this idea that when we surrender our lives to God in this love relationship, that we become a conduit of love to share with everybody else. That love is actually evidence of a surrendered life. And I think what Jesus is saying is go. Go show your surrendered life and show it by loving others. Okay, back to our story. This guy wants to somehow justify himself. And I don't know what, what was in his head, but, but he had this thought and he had this thought and he thought he knew the answer to this question. And it's a, it's a simple question. It's a, it's a question that has surprised and I think haunted people for the last 2,000 years. It was actually a question that the ancient Jews debated. And the question is, who is my neighbor? Concise, simple, But how do we answer that question? They debated it all the time. For the ancient Jew, there were choices. The people around me are my neighbors. The people over there are my neighbors. Are the people different than me my neighbors? And they actually would fight about this. For an ancient Jew, maybe my neighbors were the people kind of right around me, the people that are like me. Maybe my ancient neighbor is me. Maybe it's love me like I love me. Maybe that's really what it is. I mean, this guy's starting to challenge Jesus a little bit. And he's like, well, I think I got it right. I got the first answer right. Let's see if I can get this one right. And everybody's going to know that I'm an expert in the law and that I'm on the right path. But Jesus has a way about him. He has a way of cutting through the hypocrisy right to the truth of the matter. I mean, this guy should have known better. He should have known who his neighbor was. He was an expert in the law. He should have read and memorized and understood Leviticus 19. And maybe he did. Maybe he just forgot. Maybe he took the second greatest commandment that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe he forgot that that's part of a larger context. And even if we go back to the original language in the Hebrew and we realize that that's the second half of a verse and it's not the whole verse, maybe if we read the whole verse, we would get some idea of who our neighbor is. Verse 18 from Leviticus 19 in the Old Testament says, Do not avenge or bear a grudge against the children of your people. 
but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Who are the children of your people? They're your peeps. They're the insiders. They're your relatives. They're your people. And so maybe part of the debate was a misguided debate. Maybe they do what we do sometimes, where we take something and we yank it out and we put it on the wall and we say, see, there it is. You got to do that. But we forget the whole story. Maybe this guy forgot that Leviticus 19 has bookends to it. That at the very beginning and at the very end, it talks about other people. Specifically, it mentions foreigners. In fact, if you read at the very last, at the very end in verse 33, it says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, it doesn't say how they reside among you. It just says when they reside among you, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated how? As your native born, as the children of your people. Love them as you love yourself. And then he gives them a little history lesson. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. He says, you remember what it was like, don't you? You remember what it was like to be mistreated. You remember what it was like to be misunderstood. You remember what it was like to be kept down. You remember what it was like to have injustice come your way over and over and over again, generation after generation after generation, crying out to God for freedom and injustice. You remember what that was like. So when people come into your land, treat them the way that you wish you had been treated. I, I, I don't know, the expert in the law must have forgot that. And Jesus must have known that he forgot that and Jesus had a way about him. So he tells him a story. And this story has been told for the last couple thousand years. And it's a story about a man who goes on a journey. And this man goes on a journey from Jerusalem, which is kind of up in the mountains, and then all the way down to Jericho, which is below sea level. It's about a 3,300-foot drop, and it was a dangerous journey. It was a long journey. It's a tough journey. You can walk that journey today. It had a nickname. This pathway had a nickname called the Ascent of Blood. In fact, all the way up to 500 AD, there are records of how dangerous this road was, people being robbed, people being beaten, people being murdered along this road. The Romans actually used to station uh, garrisons of soldiers along this. It was really about a 17 to 23-mile journey, kind of depending on how you went. But they actually stationed, stationed soldiers along the way because it was so dangerous. And this guy takes off on a journey. And we might say, what a bonehead, because he just went on this journey all by himself. I mean, you're in the wrong part of town. You go into a dark alley on a dark night. What a knucklehead. He deserves what he has coming to him. And don't we love to do that? I mean, I mean, if we're honest, we love to play the blame game, right? We love to sort of go, well, you did that, so you deserve whatever's coming to you. It's, it, it's in our blood. You know that, right? From the very beginning of the story. Hey, Adam, did you eat the apple? Well, uh, well, a woman gave it to me. Well, what happened there, Eve? Oh, well, it's the snake's problem. And, and we just sort of like pass it on down the line. We love to play the blame game. But Jesus doesn't tell the story that way even though the people were probably thinking about it, like, oh, yeah, oh, he went down that road, got attacked. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what happens when you do that. Instead, he talks about a priest and a Levite coming by. 
Who were the priests? Who were the Levites? These were the leaders. These were the holy men. These were the people that worked in Jerusalem in the temple. The priest was somebody that would help people connect to God. He would lead the people and the Levites would help out. Many of the Levites were rabbis. The expert in the law that Jesus is talking to is most likely a rabbi. And here's where the story gets interesting because he's probably on the edge of his seat thinking, this is going to go good for me. I'm going to get two for two in this public little debate here. Jesus is going to affirm this. I'm going to get a second feather in my cap. Everybody's going to know that I'm going to end up on the right side of history. I'm on the right path. They're leaving. They're going down. They're going the same direction. They're going from Jerusalem to Jericho. They're leaving church. They're leaving all of their duties. And they see this guy. But Jesus throws a curveball into the story and says, the priest went around on the other side. And the Levite went around on the other side. And then everybody's going, well, what kind of story is this? What, what, what is going on here? And Jesus does something very strange, very provocative, but at the end of the day, I think very, very transformational and helpful. He says a swear word. Well, not really. (laughs) He says the word Samaritan, but it might as well have been a swear word because the Jews hated the Samaritans. They had hated the Samaritans for hundreds of years. And and quite frankly, the Samaritans hated the Jews too. In fact, if the Jews could have built a wall between them and the Samaritans, they would have done it. And if the Samaritans could have done the same, they would have done it too. Because ever since the Civil War, there was a civil war in Israel. This is part of the history North Kingdom, Northern Kingdom, Southern Kingdom. They fight. They break apart after the reign of Solomon, who was the son of David. And in about 721 AD, the Assyrians come in and they destroy Israel, the Northern Kingdom. And they leave only a few people in the land, the poorest of the poor. And they realize that those few people can't control the land. It's getting overgrown. There's wild beasts coming in. And so the king of Assyria sends Assyrians back to populate the land. And then with some other ethnic groups, decide to intermarry. And now there's a whole new ethnic group born. And the Jews look at them and they say, we don't like you. And by the way, you don't believe in the same Bible that we believe in. You don't accept it all. You don't have the same beliefs. You don't practice the same kind of worship in the same kind of place that we do. And so we don't like you. And it got so bad. It was so bad in ancient Israel that if you were traveling from south to north, because in the north you had Galilee, you had that whole area. In the south you had Judea. And guess what was right in the middle? Samaria. And so they had to somehow get from north to south. And so the ancient Jews would travel all the way around to the north and then all the way around to the south. This is the level of hatred Jesus understood his context, and he goes right for the jugular. By the way, you can read in John chapter 4, Jesus didn't behave that way. He would just travel right into the heart of Samaria. He had a couple disciples that tried to kill a Samaritan village one time. I've mentioned that before, you know, let's bring fire down from heaven. Jesus didn't roll that way. He rolled right into a sacred town in Samaria, and he had a conversation with a woman at a well. A woman, by the way, who had had all these husbands, who was broken, who was vulnerable. So you had a Jewish rabbi in Samaria talking to a Samaritan woman who had been married a whole bunch of times. 
man, Jesus, he just rolled differently. It's beautiful. You can read about that in John chapter 4. But in this chapter, Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero. Isn't that radical? The Samaritan is the neighbor. I mean, it was so bad that at the end of the story, Jesus said, who was the neighbor? And the guy can't even say the word Samaritan. He has to say the one who had mercy on him. I mean, that's how bad it was. The Samaritan is a reflection of loving God and loving others. It's a beautiful, beautiful, provocative, but helpful story. So where does that leave us? Let me, let me, let me ask you one question or, or, or give you one sort of bit of homework or one sort of thought. If, if Jesus was here today and he could just lock, sort of lock eyes with you, and if he was telling the story just to you, who would he choose to play the part of the Samaritan? Would it be somebody of a different ethnic group? Maybe an illegal alien? Would it be somebody that votes different than you? That votes the wrong way? Would it be somebody of a different religion? Or would it be somebody with no religion at all? Maybe somebody that sort of bags on your religion and thinks you're just stupid and, and, and can't even believe that you would believe the fairy tales that you believe. Who would it be? Would it be somebody that has a different sexual orientation than you do? Would it be somebody that is super outgoing and maybe they do stuff that you would never do? Or maybe it's somebody that's a little bit awkward and doesn't have a lot of interpersonal skills. Maybe it's somebody that's incarcerated. Maybe it's somebody that you see in fulsome kind of with those bags behind their bicycle. Who would the Samaritan be if he was telling the story to you? We get to the end of the story, and I think what Jesus does is he, he takes that whole idea in Leviticus 19, and he puts it all together, and he says, yes, both and. I think the answer to the question of who is your neighbor is everyone. No, really, everyone. Change the question mark to an exclamation point. Everyone, really, everyone. And at the end of the story, Jesus looks at this guy who gives the right answer, even though he won't say the word Samaritan, and he says, go and do likewise. And how uncomfortable is that going to be? This is our mission. We're on a mission of boldness. We're on a mission of love. We're on a mission to see as many people as possible transformed into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. And we want to be a place where that can happen for anybody. For anybody. Everybody deserves to be celebrated. Everybody needs to be equipped. All of us need care at some point in our lives. And we were all designed in the image of God who is in the image of community. And so we all need to be connected. And at the end of the day, we must be a place that's always thinking, that's always ready, that's always got our hearts ready for people that have never been here before. So we must be prepared for as many people as possible. Amen? All right, pray with me this morning. God, thanks. 
Thanks for your word as we engage your scripture and we find ourselves in the story and we allow the spotlight to be turned on us and we open our hearts. God, you don't, you don't come and bang us over the head. You don't come and manipulate us into your kingdom. Instead, you open your hand and you say, follow me. And you call us to open our hands and say, I surrender. And Lord, maybe there are some here that have never surrendered to you. Maybe some of us here, maybe it's been a while, maybe we've wandered and maybe we just sort of need to press the reset button and we need to say, God, I surrender my life to you. Fresh and new this morning, I give you my life. I've gotten off track and man, I, I need to come back to your heart. Maybe for some of us, we, we need to just give you permission to kind of cut through a lot of the junk in our lives and do the heart check on us. God, whatever the case may be, we know that you are a God of love. You are a God of mercy. You are a God of grace. You are a God of healing. You love us tenderly like a, like a mom loves her baby. And you draw us with your loving kindness. And so, God, we give you permission to do that this morning. We give you permission in this community to invade us and to convict us and to change us. And, Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the praise for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.